the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Schneider. It is Monday, July 10th. I promise you a few things for the next couple of weeks. No lists, no best ofs, no worst ofs. Um, I know that's where a lot of the content's living right now. It's going to be an NFL and an MLB show. I'm going to start off with a contract negotiation discussion about a certain quarterback who is, I think, next in line. We've had some discussions about the uh, the pending extension candidates here in the past couple of weeks. I'm going to dive deep into Justin Herbert's situation with the Los Angeles Chargers, as deep as I can go from an objective educational guest standpoint. And then flip the switch to baseball. It is officially the midseason. The all-star break is here. Cousin Dan and I dive into the stat leaders, not just the traditional stats, but some uh, some of the more advanced stats that we like, that we track, that Dan tracks for fantasy purposes. Who's at the top of each list? What is their current contract status? What does it mean for their financial future? All that fun stuff as we continue to break down the midway point of a strong Major League Baseball season from a star standpoint. So a little NFL first, a little baseball on the back end, plenty of NBA discussion on the NBA next podcast, I'm sure, with the CBA now officially out. Keith has, I know, done God's work reading that thing. There's lots of apron talk. There's some up, updated exception talk, uh, plenty of uh, penalty discussions, which is really the crux of this new CBA, right? Getting people to pay more from the floor earlier to the floor and understanding what happens when you overspend in the NBA and the ramifications that come with it. Uh, look for Keith to be breaking down that along with plenty of signings, plenty of trades, and a few TBDs, right? We're still not done. We're still not through the weeds on uh, an NBA free agency that started about two and a half weeks ago now, for better or for worse, and continues off with the uh, plenty of names left. Check out the NBA Next Podcast with Keith all week on the Spot Track Network. Let's talk Justin Herbert. Uh, I've got some literature here in front of me that I spent some time on this weekend. I will I will get to finalizing this and posting this as soon as I finish this, this segment here. Um, but I like to kind of get halfway through, build an outline, discuss it, and then get down to the nitty gritty of actually writing it out once I have my thoughts collected with it. Um, this one's difficult. I think in Cincinnati's case and why I'm choosing Herbert over Burrow, A, I think Herbert's going to hit first. My guess is that Joe Burrow is going to wait for Justin Herbert's numbers to come in and simply have some sort of multiplying factor over top of them, though Cincinnati as a franchise has their own significant struggles in going to the top of the market in a lot of the categories I'm going to talk about today. And oh, by the way, it's not like the Chargers have been throwing out top-of-the-market contracts left and right either, even though they're now an L.A.-based team, there's a stadium, there's a lot involved with this franchise. The balance between they've certainly got a guy, right? There's This is a legit QB1. There's no doubt about that. Versus how do you keep the band together? How do you continue to add pieces? Are there actual pieces that are going to be here for the next five years around Justin Herbert that you know need to be considered contractually? It's a it's a fascinating roster, right? I, I think Keenan Allen falls off this roster next year. There's a world where Mike Williams also falls off this roster. They've been drafting, you know, running backs and wide receivers left and right, as you should, right? Because that's certainly the best value. And, and I just think that 
the iteration of the Chargers that we've kind of come to know and love and gamble on, right? Because they look freaking amazing in training camp every year. Might not be here in two, three years, but Herbert's going to be. That we know for sure. So, so with that said, the reason I, I introed that way is I understand that Joey Bosa's contract is still considered top of the market in a lot of cases. I understand that Derwin James went to the top of the market with the safety contract late last year. They have done this. JC Jackson's free agent deal a year ago was the top contract in free agency and immediately disaster with injury. They've done this. You know, they've, they've bolstered the offensive line with some beefy contracts. So they're willing to spend, but term guarantee, how do you factor all this stuff into Herbert when at the end of the day, he might be the only star on this team in four years. And it's weird to say that, right? I, I just don't have a Jamar Chase T Higgins conversation to go with Justin Herbert and the Chargers. It seems like they're spinning the wheels in a lot of cases and that's okay. I, I, I think turnover can be healthy for a lot, but I think my uh, long-winded discussion to get us here is if I'm Justin Herbert, I have all the control in the world with this. Yeah, there was an injury last year that he superhero played through and still put up great numbers. And at the end of the day, you're still going to have, you know, a bunch of geeks out there saying he regressed a little last year. No chance. There's no chance I can stand for that. All right. If you put his per game stats out there and you factor in whatever that elbow injury was, the multiplying factor has to get him back to at least where he started from, if not more. Uh, this guy's the real deal. And the people inside the locker room certainly know it. So I, I guess if I'm factoring in other contracts on this team, there's just not enough there for me to say that Justin Herbert has to give any inch in negotiations. He shouldn't. Now, we'll talk term in a second. But if we're getting to average salary, something I absolutely can't stand talking about, but you know how it drives, you know, it's the marketing device. The current leader in the clubhouse is Lamar, all right, who just signed that contract, a free agent contract, by the way, at $52 million a year. Now, there's a couple of things to talk about here, and I will get into a lot more of this in the written literature here that I will post on spytrack.com. Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, a couple of players that I think are decent comps here, even though, you know, there's much more running game there. They were free agents when they signed their respective contracts. Okay. And the numbers reflect that. There was no money built in or transferring over from a previous deal when those two players signed their deals. Jalen Hurts had one year and then about $3 million non-guaranteed coming over. Kyler Murray, Josh Allen. Those are the players that we have to deal with here. Those are the players who've, who have recently extended with two years remaining on their rookie contract, right? A fourth year guaranteed plus an exercised fifth year option. So style of play, you know, run game, yada, yada. There's a, there's a big difference here. And you kind of got to exclude that part of this whole stat category. But contractually speaking, it's not fair to put Lamar Jackson's 260, 52 million a year, right? 185 guaranteed 
up against Justin Herbert, who's bringing in $33 million of guaranteed money into this next contract. It's already locked in. Year four rookie, fifth year option, fully guaranteed. That doesn't get discussed enough. The NFL and correspondingly, we track new money, new years, and kind of move on with our lives. And I know a lot of dynasty fantasy people complain about that because it just sort of relinquishes the fact that they had previous money, that they had previous years, that there's previous guarantees. Well, if I'm sitting in the negotiation room and I'm going to, I'm going to start from the Chargers angle, Kyler Murray earned X guarantee, right? 103 signing, 179 total, but brought in 35 million from his rookie contract. So you can deplete that immediately. Josh Allen, 95 at signing. Brought in 20 and change. Josh Allen's a $75 million new guaranteed contract at signing. Okay. And there's some comparisons there with how I think the Chargers have operated and how the Buffalo Bills have operated in recent years. Now, Allen's contract came amidst a flurry of other Bills extensions. They hit on eight to 10 guys in the last couple of off seasons there that they wanted to keep in house and they've done so. So there was an aggressive team oriented, you know, need to suppress Allen's contract. And they did so. There's no question. If you look at Allen's contract now in comparison to anybody else that you think are at the top of the game, he's down the list in every category. I just don't think that's where we're going to get to with Justin Herbert. So if you want to start doing apples to apples and apples to oranges, at the end of the day, I can tell you right now, from, an, from a statistical standpoint, because he doesn't impact the running game too much, because he did have a statistical dip last year, largely due to that injury, he's a $51 million player in our system. Whatever that means, okay? Because if you look at any of the contracts we have on Track right now, we've added a column called Cash AAV. It's basically the adjusted AAV in any given year of a contract. All right? Now, with Lamar, all right, when you get all the way down to year, if you get to year three, 2025 of Lamar, fully guaranteed, he's a $52 million player then. And he remains a $52 million player through the balance of the contract. It's a pretty flat deal. That's rare. Deshaun Watson has that. To some degree, Dak Prescott has that at $40 million, right? To, to understand where we've come in the last 18 months. But you start talking about these rookie extensions that buy out rookie years, like Kyler Murray and Allen, okay? And we're not even at $40 million a year when we get to the meat and potatoes of these contracts. In fact, this Josh Allen contract that I'm referencing... At no point in time is Allen actually worth $36 million per year on it, even though it's a $43 million contract extension. Because of the two years that were carried over, because of the structure of this contract, because of the double bonus structure, right? Signing bonus, option bonus, which is what I'm going to propose here for for Justin Herbert as well. Everything stays really balanced and fairly valued, all right? Allen's going to make $28 million cash this year in year three of that contract. It's an eight-year total contract, which is another conversation. Obviously, the more you spread things out, the better value you're going to have on a year-to-year basis. Lamar Jackson did not spread things out, and it was a big sticking point. Okay, Five years was going to be his max term. Dak Prescott, four years was his max term. And he fought Jerry Jones hard in that. 
Jerry Jones wanted the traditional five-year contract. He gets those deals. In fact, he gets six to eight-year contracts in the past, right? Tyron Smith, Zeke Elliott. Dak wanted four because he knew what the heck was happening. A, he was signing for 40, and and 40 was going to be 50 in the blink of an eye, and it was, right, 52. Okay, and he's ready for another contract, by the way, and that's the other part of it. Okay, he wants control to be able to say, look, I don't have three years left in this contract. So there's no, there's no, there's no screwing around here. My cap hit is going to be $65 million. I know you got to flex. I want to flex out of this contract. Let's do it together. That's what the control means. That's what the leverage is. So when we're talking 52 million a year, 55 million a year, it's fine as long as it's truncated into a, into a degree where you actually earn that, like Lamar is, like Dak did with his, with his 40, like Deshaun Watson did if you want to bring him into this conversation. I tend not to. So if I can tell you he's 51 million a year, that's fine. And if he gets the 51 million per year over the next four years, that's outstanding. Right? Again, Josh Allen not making 36 million a year at any point in time in his contract because of the spread out, because of the carryover. Kyler Murray in a very similar situation with his seven-year total contract. Okay. And he doesn't hit the $37 million mark in his contract until the last year, which is just fluff, non-guaranteed. All right. But right now in his deal, he's a $34.5 million player from a cash flow perspective. The point here is because Justin Herbert has this leverage, it makes no sense for him to backload anything. It makes no sense for any quarterback to backload anything. And if you think I'm crazy, that $450 million contract that Patrick Mahomes signed that I said was rock solid, right? It's 480 over 12 total value because of two years of rookie extension kicked over. There were two ways to look at it. A, if he wants to make the the full 480 and stay in this thing forever, the Chiefs really can't do anything about it, right? Because of the dead cap, the early vesting mechanisms, Mahomes pretty much has the control to say, I'm just going to stay in this and you're going to have to live with it because the dead cap to get out of it is just insurmountable. That was number one. Number two is, how long are we going to get to before he hates this contract? Guess what? <laughs> We're here already. All right. If you don't remember, around March 20-something, Patrick Mahomes publicly came out and said, I'm going to sit down with the Kansas City Chiefs and discuss my current contract and hopefully get to a resolution where we can you know, make things a little bit more, more, better for both sides. Translation, what the hell did I do? Patrick Mahomes made $65.5 million over the past three years. It's an average of $16 million per year. What the hell did he do? <laughs> All right. He had $26 million owed to him, fully guaranteed, on his rookie contract when he signed this deal. You know how much he made his first year? Eleven, And then $22. Lamar Jackson just, just cashed $80 million this year. Why? Because he leveraged himself. Because he didn't sign early. Because he let this thing run out to a fifth-year option, to a franchise tag. And then he simply said, you can replace me. You can trade me. I'm not going to sign this tag because I know what's sitting there on the other side of this franchise tag, which is $185 million guaranteed. You can say that the PR hit sucked for Lamar, and it probably did, right? His mom got dragged into it as, as an agent. It was annoying. It was ugly but it worked. (laughs) All right. And I know there's not a lot of guys built for that. 
They want to stay out of the spotlight with that kind of with that kind of jargon. They want to keep football as a top priority, a top talking point. And I can respect that side of it. But the Mahomes contract was way too team friendly. Now look, I get that there's state farm money and there's tons of other money coming in. And there's something to be said about, you know, Mahomes kind of going the Brady route. Tom Brady never signed a 12-year contract. Never. In fact, he's probably laughing at this contract when he sees it in full. Three years in, Mahomes wants out. They're going to give it to him because he's worth it and he, and he should get whatever he wants. He has certainly earned that. But that is the unicorn point here that I'm trying to make. Okay? 51, 55 million a year doesn't mean a damn thing if the only way you get it is spread out over 11 years or dropped into the bottom of a sec of a six to eight year contract like Josh Allen's is. All right. Cause by the time you decide, by the time the money actually gets in front of your face, you're looking around the room saying, wait a minute, now that money's here, but I should be making 12 million more a year because look what Trevor Lawrence has done. Look what Justin Fields has done just to kind of extrapolate out a little bit here. It's not going away. It's not going away until a bunch of teams decide we're never paying the rookie extension. We're just going to ride guys out for seven years and then go back to the draft in year four and have them have their replacement on our roster. It's really hard to do that. I think somebody's going to try to try to get there eventually. It's possible San Francisco may be that team. I actually thought Baltimore was going to be that team. But until that happens, the quarterbacks have maximum control. Dak Prescott has proved it. Kirk Cousins has proved it. Matthew Stafford has proved it. Aaron Rodgers continues to prove it. Okay. These are not just, and by the way, these are not the best of the best, right? Rodgers has been, but these other names, these are just guys saying, look, I'm, I'm comfortable in my situation, but I got to do with, I got to do the business thing too. Got it. And letting you put me on an eight year contract is bad business. It's bad business because I'm going to want out in three and what have I actually made in those three years? Well, for Patrick Mahomes, it's less than sixty-six million. <laughs> okay, so Herbert's got a lot of uh, a lot of numbers to look at, and his agent knows that what the hell they're doing. By the way, his agency. Speaking of which, Justin Herbert's agent has repped Aaron Rodgers for every single contract he's done. All right, and if you just go to Aaron Rodgers' page, and you're a premium member, so you can go all the way back to his original contracts. You're going to see a trend and it's pretty easy. Number one, obviously the money increases exponentially because the NFL has done so as a whole and the quarterback position has done so at the fastest rate of any position I can remember in the history of sports. What else happens with Aaron Rodgers contracts? Well, we start with a six year, $63 million bridge contract just to get out of the rookie deal. Now, very different scenario, right? Because Rodgers hadn't played a minute. Right, this was Brett Favre finally going away, Rodgers getting his shot, showing he's actually going to be worth the price of admission and saying, you got to get me out of this deal now. All right, it's time to get me into starting pay. So he took starter pay on a six-year contract. Okay, that was actually a seven-year contract on its face. It was a six-year extension. The Packers made him play out five full years of that. He made $44 million in change over five years from 2008 to 2012. Guess what Aaron Rodgers never did again in his career? Locked himself into that kind of term. Right? He went to the top of the market, 
in 2013, well into this new CBA with the rookie wage scale. Top average pay, top guarantees. Stayed until there were two years left on that contract, re-upped on a four-year extension. Stayed and there were two years left, re-upped on a three-year extension. Okay, and he's going to stay until there's two years left, probably at two, through 2024 with the Jets, and then walk away from the game after his 150 million guaranteed expires. It started at six, it went down to five, it went down to four, it went down to three. It's not because he's he's old. It's because that's where the game's going. It's because the quarterback numbers aren't just increasing. So is their power. And with power, should come shorter term. Should come less fluff. Should come more truncated guarantees. And Aaron Rodgers is the poster child for that. Man, love him or hate him, he has maximized his financial value in this league. And his agent is Justin Herbert's agent. Okay? So why in the world... Would David Dunn and Athletes First look at Justin Herbert and say, yeah, we're good taking an eight-year contract here, six-year extension on the two years available. You guys can spread it out, keep it cap friendly. No way. <laughs> no chance. All right? So long, long, long story short, let's get back to where we started here, the average salary. I don't care what it is. You want to tell me this is a $48 million per year contract? Great. As long as he's making that $48 million or maybe even more in the first three seasons. That's all that matters to me, all right? Because 65 over three or Josh Allen's, you know, 90 over three, that ain't going to cut it. Not, not with where we are with this quarterback position, okay? Things are a lot different in the past 18 to 24 months than they were when Josh Allen signed that contract. But from a structural standpoint, it's going to be a very similar outcome. It's just going to look different, in my opinion, because of who the agent is, because of where the team is, because of where the quarterback position is, okay? And Lamar proved it again for the fifth time, right? He's the, he's the fifth example, in my opinion, that you can go any way you want. You can do it early. You can do it late. You can do it at the very last minute. You can hold out a little bit and, and ruffle some feathers. They're still going to pay you. You can destroy your knee if you're Dak Prescott. Wake up, come back in March, and that, and that $160 million is still going to be sitting there for you. Prescott proved that. And he was on a franchise tag when he did it. All right. So if you can play and you can get yourself back to full health, there's really no stopping the quarterback money at all at any point in time. It would behoove Justin Herbert to do one of these mini Mahomes deals that Allen and Kyler Murray did just to get this thing done. If that's what the Chargers are demanding, right? We got to bump out six full years to make it an eight-year contract. I'm just saying no. I'm just flat out saying no right now. And I'm going to live off my $4 million this year, fully guaranteed. And I'm going to roll into next season. <clears throat> and you know why I know that that's on the table? Because that's what Joey Bosa had to deal with. A non-quarterback in that franchise. Joey Bosa waited until his fifth-year option year to sign his extension. One year left. He had that 14 and change fully guaranteed option. And then he locked in his massive five-year, $135 million extension. In other words, he wasn't going more than six years in total value. To me, that's still too much for Herbert. All right. I, I want him to get in and out of this thing in four to five if possible. I think it's unrealistic if he wants to hit the metrics of you know 55 a year, 
200 practically guaranteed, 115 to 20 guaranteed at signing, which are the numbers. That's where he falls here. And I'll, and I'll pr- put my full projection up on uh, spotter.com after the segment, but that's where he lives. Okay. Uh, I mean, Lamar's 185 is different because it's it comes with no previous guarantees. So that is the net output. Okay. So Herbert's carrying 33.7 guarantee into this new deal right now. But if there's not a 175 to 200 on that practical guarantee, I'm not touching it. I'm not going near it. Because at 55 a year, as long as he's balancing this thing out properly, let's just say that he hits his floor of 51 on an actual three-year average, right? Not the total value average. The next three years come in at 51 a year, which is a huge number, right? Huge number. Remember that Lamar is making 80 this year because of a signing bonus. But 51 times three is 153. So without even getting to the the fourth year, which a lot of these quarterbacks are getting a roster bonus or something like that, fully guaranteed at signing in the fourth year as this power increases, we're already over 150, which is well past most of the practical guarantees in the history of football. Okay. Kyler's, Practical guarantees at this when it's all said and done were 159. Josh Allen's were 150. Okay. So really without trying at 51 million per year, just for three seasons, that's a sizable signing bonus, a sizable option bonus, second year, and some, you know, non-minimum guaranteed salaries. That's where we stand. I believe that he'll get his his full six year tenure. So a four-year extension, six years total value. And they're going to try to spread some things out over four years instead of truncating things into three. It's a concession I'm willing to make if I'm Justin Herbert because I'm young. I'm fairly healthy on a regular basis. Like I said, there's some, t- there's some mouths that need to change around him from an age standpoint, from an injury history standpoint. Austin Eckler probably falls off this roster next year as well. Right. So it could be Eckler, could be Allen and Mike Williams all flying off this roster next year, which could bring in a slew of young, talented players, but also cheap players. So again, I hope that everybody's reading the room here in Justin Herbert's camp and understanding where this team might be headed. Cleo Max probably falling off next year. Right. Joey Bosa's guarantees fall off in 18 months, believe it or not. I'm pushing for a four-year extension right now. Nothing more. All right? Um, The league is just changing too damn fast. If I can sneak $175 million fully guaranteed, but not at signing, right? If it's $115 guaranteed at signing, but $175 practically guaranteed over the next four years, I'm probably signing that contract. As long as there's not four years of fluff built after that. Okay, that's got to get chopped off. It's about getting three sizable contracts in this league if you're a starting quarterback right now, especially you know around age 25, and especially with the injury history that lacks in Justin Herbert's camp. So I take the 175. I roll that into the next contract. And you know, within the next four years, the salary cap's going to be at a very sizable number, thanks to some streaming money. Let's be perfectly frank. I mean, 
275 isn't inconceivable over the next four years. And then what are we talking about? Okay, we're talking about top average salaries for some of these players approaching $65 million. We're going to be at 60 very quickly with some fluffy contracts, right? It's not going to be stable, but we're going to be there sooner than later here. So if we're just doing some extrapolation, right, on 60 times four, okay, that's 240. So let's just say Herbert does four years with 175 practically guaranteed. And then at just around 30, 31 years old, he can do another four years with 225 to 240 million guaranteed. You know how easy it's going to be for him to make $500 million in this league? Okay. So the money's everywhere, but it's about segmenting it properly. There's a world where Josh Allen doesn't get out of his contract for another five years. Okay. And Mahomes has earned the right to get out of his contract, but Kansas City certainly doesn't have to. They certainly don't have to do anything after three of 12 years. So that's the, that's the concern here. The concern is being pigeonholed. And it's a word that I think a lot of quarterbacks dealt with back in the day. And many of the, the aggressive ones are simply putting their foot down and saying, there's no chance I'm going there. Okay, I, I, we can be cap friendly and team friendly in other ways with void years, with multiple bonuses. Okay, you want to be cap friendly? Pay me a bonus right now instead of having to you know, build out base salaries that maybe you'll restructure. Make them option bonuses. Make the option bonuses due in August so we all have time to think about it a little bit and go from there. Looking at the contract I have projected for Justin Herbert. Right now, it's in spreadsheet format. I'll post it on spotrack.com as quickly as I can. I have what I think is a maximum extension right now with two years remaining on the rookie contract. It's four years, $216 million of new money, $54 million per year on that deal. There's a $40 million signing bonus. It's $112 million fully guaranteed at signing. Now, I know that's a number that's probably too high, for the Chargers market right now. Joey Bosa only got 78, I believe. But I think that's fair. All right. That's three-year cash flow, 112. No fluff, no roster bonuses, no workout bonuses, an option bonus, a signing bonus, and some base salary. That's what that 112 exists of. So it's absolutely set in stone. 200 million of this thing is, is practically guaranteed and will become fully guaranteed by March of 2026. So it's 112 out of the gate, another 43 million locks March of 2024, and the final 45 million locks March of 2026. So everything's early. He gets 200 million over the next five seasons on the dot. On the dot. That's 40 per year over a five-year span. They can punt on that final year and roll it into a new contract at age 29 if they want to, or he can take his $200 million fully guaranteed and at age 29, extend himself out into what probably should be at least $240 million practically guaranteed at that point in time based on where metrics and finances should be. So I've increased him to $54 million per year and I've done so because of multiple bonuses. His cap hits over the next two years are 13 and a half and 
So you can't say that he's not being team friendly. He's giving. He's getting 72 million cash over that time. All right. 40 million more than he should be making right now on his rookie contract slash fifth year option. So to me, this hits all the metrics. It's a bit of a max effort. Again, that 200 practical guaranteed probably looks more like 175. But the out on this contract probably looks like four years instead of five. And if that's the case, 28-year-old Justin Herbert, after having made $175 million over four years, is going to be pretty damn happy with how the quarterback landscape looks in 2027 when he needs a new contract. There's a lot of ways to go about this. The only thing I don't want to see is a six-year extension and an eight-year total contract or a 10-year extension and a 12-year total contract. Those days have to stop. And I think Patrick Mahomes learned the hard way. There are a lot of ways to make numbers work for everybody. And spreading them out until they're super thin is not how it needs to happen anymore. Not at this position. You want to tell me that's how running backs start to make their money again? I can get there. It's risky because their careers are five and a half years, right? But not the quarterbacks. Get in, get out, get paid, get paid again, get paid again, and then see what happens when you're 38 years old. Because more and more of those guys are going to look fresh at that, at that age the longer we go here as well. So that's it. I'll post the uh, literature for this. All of these uh, spreadsheets I'll, I'll put into picture form so you can see where I'm at. And uh, certainly give me your thoughts at SpotTrek on Twitter, at SpotTrek on Threads, at SpotTrek on Blue, T- Blue Sky. Um, uh, I'm trying to keep up with that rat race. So <laughs> uh, certainly follow me wherever you need to there and reach out with thoughts, concerns, questions, uh, numbers you hate, numbers you think there should be. And is Herbert going to go first? We've got a Herbert, Burrow, Mahomes, Prescott contract summer here. I think all four are probably in play. How do you rank them? We'll see what happens next. Uh, This NFL vacation is super fun for extension talk. So I've got two or three other players down the docket. We do have a franchise tag deadline in five days. So next episode, I will focus on some negotiations we're hearing with Barkley, Josh Jacobs, and Evan Engram. I think two of those three should get done. We'll see where we are in a couple of days uh, with the next episode. But it's time to talk some baseball with Cousin Dan. All right, Dan, we're not done with our midseason report yet. It's officially the All-Star break. It's the time to evaluate a little bit, time to project a little bit. Uh, we ran through some buyers and sellers, some team situations. I think a few have changed maybe in the past 72 hours since we've spoken. But um, let's let's hand out some, uh, some top-of-the-mountain awards here. Let's talk about the stat leaders at the midseason mark. Some traditional stats, some advanced stats, some some players who are loaded up with stat leading awards right now. Uh, where do you want to hang here? You want to start with some pitchers or some hitters? Um, <clears throat> I'm good either way. Yeah. How about the fact that none of the players on the teams that we root for are on this list right now? Is that a <laughs> is that a miserable feeling for you, or just kind of par for the course? Um, I mean, it's kind of hard to make one of these season leader list to be to be honest um so mm-hmm. I, not necessarily surprising um i mean maybe a couple candidates on each team that could have been um here and aren't really in the race but um right yeah it's there's anomalies for sure but there's also a couple of guys just lo- absolutely loading it up let's start with the hitters um 
you know, one of the most, I don't know, scoffed at stats in the world right now is the batting average. I still like it. I still think it's pretty cool that guys can go up there and do what they want to do and kind of control the pace of the play. Um, that is Luisa raises a uh, sort of bread and butter, right? That's why the Miami Marlins acquired him. They needed some contact play. They got it out of him. They continue to get it out of him. He flirted with 400 for a while. He's down to about 383 right now at the midpoint. Uh, I don't think 400 is really in, in anybody's wheelhouse with these marathon seasons now. But um, is this extension worthy, this statistic, Dan? Is this something that, you know, is it is it like having a great slot wide receiver? Or is this like having a solid running back to kind of go multi-sport on you here? You know what I mean? Like, what does it mean to have a player who can hit for average consistently? You know, every year in and out, this is what this guy does. It's his superpower. What does it mean from a team standpoint when it, when it comes to money? Well, it's, kind of hard to say in this scenario because this is such an outlier player um Mm -hmm. typically with average eh, average can be misleading if you don't look at other contexts surrounding average in this case um his slugging percentage is extremely extremely low so um with that high average comes a bunch of singles which to me um is comparable to a guy that just walk, walks a bunch as well. So um, I, I, I will take in a player that hits for high average and lower power, um, but you do like to see some extra base hits mixed in there. So, um, I mean, in terms of what the Marlins are going to do with him, it's kind of hard to tell because they did um, give up a pretty significant piece in Pablo Lopez to bring him in. Now, do they want to extend him? Um, I'm I would say no, I would lean no, but it's at least possible there that they did, um, you know, they did give up prospect or player capital to bring him in. Maybe they do want to extend him. I think I lean no, because they do have kind of a bunch of other players that are sort of similar here. Um, So knowing Luis Rye how these projections can kind of go. um, The fact that his average is so high. Um, I mean, I know these teams' negotiations will take into uh, uh, some of the counting stats into effect as well, um, but it, I don't know. I have, I think, the way these numbers go, he could get a pretty, a pretty sizable contract based on, you know, his consistency in that, in that asset. So yeah, I mean, his his slugging is at, at a career high right now. You know, and his OPS is at 905. I mean, those are numbers I think that here's the problem. And and I've got a bad taste in my mouth with this this conversation because Jeff Jeff McNeil won the batting title for the National League last year, did get himself like a bridge extension with the Mets four for 50 around there and has been a shell of himself ever since. The power is gone. He's not consistently hitting doubles like he did. So your conversation is completely fair. Um, if this guy's just going up there throwing a bunch of singles, right? 180 hits, but you know, 110 of them are singles. There's not much value in that. My pushback, Dan, is this guy's going to be a six war, you know? So there's got to be other factors coming into his equation, right? And this is not the first time he's done this. He's he's increased his overall efficiency every single year. And now he's got his OPS in a spot where I don't know. I think most guys would take a 905 at the midway point. So I, I just don't know where uh where this particular player falls in. He is a bit of an outlier. Like you said, they did give up, I think a bit of an overpay to get him in the door in terms of Miami, but they're also winning ball games. So you can get, 
wooed by all of those factors coming together at one time. We just don't see the Miami Marlins handing out contracts left and right, you know? So I, I wouldn't be overly surprised, Dan, if they do what they do this year, they get to as far as they can go, and this guy's back on the trade block. Is that inconceivable? They try to regain some value that they gave up to get him in the first place? Mm, I mean, it's possible. It's possible, but I don't. Um, I mean, it, his ARB3 salary is going to skyrocket. There's no question about that. Yeah, it would have skyrocketed with Pablo Lopez as well. I think they just yep. wanted to swap a hitter, a pitcher salary for a hitter salary, which kind of makes sense there. Um, I, I guess I'm just saying, based on his career performance, I don't buy that this um, almost 400 average and um, career high on base, like by far on base percentage career high, um, which is kind of booing the slugging, slugging percentage a little bit. Um, Yep. I just, I, he's a tricky player. He, he, let's just say this. He's probably a real life, a better real life player than um, like counting stats, fantasy stats, anything like that can account for. So um, he, he's a really valuable player. It's just, I look at this team and they kind of have a bunch of um, second basemen who kind of offer the same profile. Now he's obviously offers elite skills in some areas, but I, I'm, I'm really puzzled as to what direction they go with him, mostly because of how, they went yeah. about acquiring him. So, yeah, yeah, that's why. And then, I mean, him, I, and, I, and then follow him following that up with a really powerful season now too. Actually, right. So, yeah, and, and I guess that's why I wouldn't be overly shocked if they put him on the block and at least see what's available uh, and sort of sell high on him whenever they can. All right, let's get into it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, we continue to talk Otani as much as possible. This is obviously an area where we have to dive in again. He's leading in slugging, in OPS and triples, and homers, and total bases, and ISO. There's more. I just didn't do all the homework I could possibly do to find it. Uh, these are not fake categories, Dan. These are high-valued categories. These are fantasy categories. I don't know. I, this is something I wish uh, you know I had taken some time to look up. When's the last time a player led the league in triples and home runs at the midway point? I mean, that's not easy to do, right? That's Those are polar op- opposites in terms of skill sets. So it, this is a... This is a really fascinating situation. There's a lot to talk about with this guy. Just your overall thoughts on where he is. Are, are, are we overdoing any of this? Or are, is it a, as impressive as the mass media has, has made it at this point? Just from a Honestly, hitting perspective. It's, probably, hitting. More, it's yeah. probably more impressive than the media has even given. That's, how, is- that's what I took away this morning after doing this homework, Dan. So I'm, I'm glad you're in agreement. Go ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we've talked, uh, not to like rehash old conversations, we've talked about this at length. Um, I have made the case that I think Otani is a 10 for 300, 350 minimum hitter alone. Hitter. Yeah. yeah, hitter, which, um, <laughs> and, and then if you want to carve out the, you know, however you want to split it off, I think he's at least a $300, a $300 million player Um if you just want to look at his off what he brings offensively. So I, yeah. we are getting into burnout territory where people mm. have heard so much about him that I, I don't want to say it, that they're looking at him negatively. It's just that we're, we're being less um, enthralled by what he's doing the longer we see it, which doesn't, which is, which is crap in my opinion, it's garbage because what he's mm-hmm. doing, we will likely um, never seen again. For instance, uh, you, you saw it last night, the MLB draft, um, 
there were multiple multi-position or two-way players drafted um, or guys that intend to possibly be two-way players. Uh, you know, it, the fact that they just keep throwing out Otani's name, could you be the next Otani? It's kind of a joke to me that like this <laughs> idea that any player could just be as good as he is doing this as a two-way player. Um, I mean, maybe it, it will happen, but I, I doubt that we will live to see anything like this again. So. No, I'm with you. The more I, I, the more I research and analyze and try to get myself at least into a decent headspace with where this contract's going, the more inflated everything becomes. I, I just, I just get more and more ammo every time I try to put this thing back into the chamber. You know, um, I didn't see all these numbers coming. I mean, he's the only player in Major League Baseball right now with a sub with with a a, a one plus OPS. Then he's the only player. And there's a lot of really good seasons being had out there. He's the only guy. Uh, he's playing every day. He's doing everything you're asking him to do. He's on pace for Judge's home run record. I mean, it's just there's just a lot to it. There's a lot to it. Uh, I, I'm praying to the baseball gods that we keep him healthy for the next three months so that this thing can really play out and we can head into the winter with all of these numbers actually meaning something, right? Because at the midway point, they're just projections, right? They're just a mid a stopping point. This is the this is the sentence I didn't get to write out, but I want to say it out loud. He's been good for a long time, right? He's almost truly he's almost matched his career highs at the midway point. That's how good this season has been. So there's no fatigue, there's no we're overdoing it. He's out, he's outdoing himself. Like he's probably looking at his, at his own resume and saying, "Holy crap!" Like this is. This isn't just good for you know the game of baseball. This is as good as it gets. And I, I think if he's healthy, uh, the sky's just going to be the limit for how much we talk about this guy. And by the way, we're not done. We got to talk about his pitching stuff too because he's leading in a few categories there. Not to be outdone, Dan. I hate to talk about the Braves, as you know, but my goodness, Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, we've said this a million times. I'll let you extrapolate. When this guy's healthy, I'm not sure there's a more diverse player in baseball right now. We've seen a bunch of these guys in the past. Uh, I'm not sure that the game of baseball has a dy more dynamic player than, than Acuna Jr. when it comes to just, you know, the power and the speed. Yeah, all aspects. Defensively, he's excellent too. I mean, I mean, for, 40 home runs, 50 steals is definitely in play here. Um, mm -hmm. I MVP is his to lose, just like Otani's oh, is his oh, to yeah. lose. I, I don't know. I mean, it would... Barring injury, I think they've already done enough to probably, um, mm -hmm. you know, be in the conversation. Um, I mean, for for instance, Corey Seager missed half the year, and he is second in AL MVP odds behind Otani still. So, um, regardless, so what I'm trying to say is either both of these guys have probably done enough um, to be legit contenders for that award down the stretch. Um, I don't really know what where the numbers end up, but this is um, a really impressive year when it's all said and done. Anyway, you can okay. get it. Here's, where, here's the numbers that I absolutely know with Ronald Acuna Jr. And I, I think we can't talk about this enough now. Now, look, there's been injuries, right? And, and that might be something that kind of haunts him. It's sort of caught up with Mike Trout, hasn't it? I mean, it's been like the story of Mike Trout's last five years has been his annual injury. I hope that's not where we're going with Acuna because it is kind of three out of the last four years. That's been the driving conversation. But what I do know, Dan, is this guy's owed $85 million over the next five seasons, 17 million flat per year. Two of those are club options, which obviously seem like no brainers. That's criminal, right? 
I mean, that's absolutely criminal. On its face, this guy's a $35 million player without, without question. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And it's, it's one of the re it's one of the main driving reasons why I kind of, I kind of pause when guys like Corbin Carroll signed the deal that they signed, because in my opinion, that number is their floor. For instance, um, Ronald Acuna is, he's a, He's a twenty million dollar outfielder if he's a twenty twenty type of of player. Right, um, and he's double that. It, exactly. So when these guys, so I, I, good on the teams for investing, but when these high elite talent ceiling, you know, high ceiling elite talent type players lock themselves up, um, it, it's just like kind of, uh, you know, we lose that aspect of seeing what they could have gotten on the open market, which like. I, I mean, that's selfish. I'm not trying to say that they shouldn't cash in on multi-million dollar paydays for that reason. But all I'm saying is those guys with that elite ceiling, it kind of makes me cringe just a little bit that they're probably leaving a ton of money on the table. At the end of the day, who really cares? But um, I mean, this is all to say that he is, he's, he's already made that, you know, paid off that contract and he has multiple years um, of almost free production left. So You've done a lot of work on arbitration for us over the past few months. Um, this is ARB three out of four years for him at $17 million. He's going to make $17 million next year in ARB four. So he's not yet to his actual free agent years in terms of what his window would be. Where does $17 million land for a player like this? Is he For ARB three out of four, is it, is it about right, Dan? Is next year really where, where the Braves start to get some significant value out of this? No, they definitely already have. Um, okay. I it's probably an actual piece we could maybe dive into a little bit and um, kind of work this backwards based on his production over the last few years. But um, the platform year, the first year of arbitration, is really the first time you ever see any sign- significant jump, really even over a million dollars. It's kind of rare, um, which surprised me a bit. So um, it's really the value separation that you see is typically between our one and our two and our two, three is where the numbers really start to get inflated, if you will. So um, their prior track, well, I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm not explaining this very well. The prior, the, the early years in the early production in pre-arb is really tends to pay off in the second and third years of arbitration versus um, any pre-arb years or the first year of arbitration. Um, that first, that first increase in your first year of arbitration is pretty typically modest, is somewhat modest, if you will. Um, I mean, we're talking multi-millions in some cases still, but um <laughs> In, in other words, he, things, would have, he would have made a massive jump next year for his final year. Um, I mean, probably, yeah, record breaking without historic, a yeah, yeah, historic, yeah. I mean, he's he's trending towards a ten WAR. He's 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 Aaron Judge with forty stolen bases, is what he is, and that's freaking ridiculous because everything else, I mean, the the, the advanced power stats with this guy are nuts, just nuts, so nuts. So uh, the Braves know what they had; they knew what they had when they signed the contract. He had to knew know who he was and. $100 million out of the gate just must have sounded good to him, you know? Maybe they can work out some agreement to get him long-term, but the Braves have done this over and over, and we're not done talking about them either, by the way. They're coming back in the pitching game. Uh, let's roll through a couple of these quickly. The, the RBI leader is Adolis Garcia. 
Texas is hitting everything right now. Everything about that lineup, and you're going to see it at the All-Star game, is outstanding from a hitting perspective. Pitching, maybe not so much, though it's not as bad as some are making it to be. They're a legit contender. Stolen bases. How about the A's getting some recognition? <laughs> Estuary Ruiz, Dan, just nipped Ronald Acuna Jr.'s 41. Acuna Jr. has 41 stolen bases, Dan, on July 10th. And he's doing everything else. So Ruiz has 43, just got past him. He's a minimum. He's a, he's a rookie rookie coming in on a minimum contract here. Um, let's flip the switch to some innings. Pitchers eating up innings. I know you love this guy. Uh, speaking of extensions that were recently signed, Logan Webb leads the league in innings pitched. I, I read a couple of articles when I was doing some stat work this morning, Dan, and Major League Baseball interviewed active players asking them what stats they prefer. Like what stats are the actual players following? Do you know that almost every single pitcher who was interviewed for this said innings pitched as part of their survey? I thought that was super interesting because, you know, while teams are controlling the hell out of this, pitchers seem to be all in on this. I mean, they're still trying to go out there and pitch seven, eight innings, even if teams won't let them do it anymore. And and by the way, there's got to be a contract side of that, right? There's got to be a devaluation process in the back of their mind. Maybe their agents are saying that quite a bit, right? If you're only pitching four or five innings, if you're an opener for the Tampa Bay Rays, you're just not worth as much as what, you know, Logan Webb is worth, who's going out there pitching six and two thirds on average to start the 2023 season. So I, I just, I found it interesting that this is what pitchers care about. One of the, one of the most from a statistical category standpoint, but your thoughts on Webb? I know you're, I know you have sneaky thoughts on the giants overall this year and this off season. Uh, Webb is the ace now, right? He's, he's locked into that role. Yeah, pretty easily. That That's a good point. Cause you do hear like, when you think back, you do hear pitchers like Mm -hmm. place a lot of emphasis on being in the rotation, staying healthy, being available every fifth day and dependable, um, giving some depth, um, in their start. So that's, that's a good point. I guess I didn't realize that myself. Kind of their livelihood, right? It's the, this is, this is the one thing that says I'm out there doing my job, you know, whether it's, whether I'm striking out 10 per nine or not, this is this is the metric that pitchers can still rely on to say I'm at least going out there and putting in my you know I'm the workhorse guy, right, right. And I mean, if you're getting sh- absolutely shelled, that's one thing. But even if you're like you said, you're not. Even if Max Scherzer isn't at his finest, he's not striking out uh, double digits per game. Um, mm-hmm. it, there's multiple ways to get guys out. You know, you can you can strike one guy out and still throw six you know innings of uh, one one run baseball. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I and. So in terms of this, though, um, sorry, to piggyback on that consistency point, you know, we see it with like Garrett Cole when the Yankees have a rough outing. Um, Garrett Cole comes in, gives them seven, eight innings, right. you know, he gets their bullpen, uh, you know, rejuvenated. You see that uh, this is especially valuable in San Francisco where that rotation has been a total piecemeal job the entire year. Um, they have guys who can start, but it's like eight of them and they are trying to use them all simultaneously, which has led to a lot of like wonky openers. Sean Manaya comes in and pitches three innings sort of games. Um, their GM has been vocal about trying to get onto a five-man rotation here. Um, so it sounds like they're going to be one of the teams um, trading, oh, yeah, yeah, trading starting pitching. Um, so I'm a little bit curious to see where this, you know, goes from here. But 
back to the original point, Logan Webb has provided an, an, an incredible amount of stability in that rotation. Um, dependable guy. You can just go out every fifth day as they piece the rest of it together. So that, that is just to bring it all together. I, he is an MVP type of candidate in a certain way. I don't mean he's actually going to be for that team report, but for yes, that team. That, yeah. yes. And, and we're, and we've talked about it before. We're, we're both fine with him buying out arbitration for 20 million and uh, locking in basically 72 to 73 million for his first three years of free agency. I think that sounds about right, especially for a team that, like you said, has a lot of mouths to feed. They got to figure a lot of crap out. And one of the, one of those pieces might be Otani. I mean, let's be perfectly frank about it. They're the top three candidates. So uh, if Otani comes in as becomes the one a to Logan Webb, now you're talking about something right now. You're getting into a nice situation. And uh, they're sorry, real quick, back to the, that uh, two way player point. Um, they have drafted Two-way players mm. in – I don't know if it was the first round last year, but two high-end two-way players in the last two drafts, the Giants. So really? that is another point. Yeah, Bryce Eldridge was picked last night, um, and I am drawing a blank on the name in the 2022 draft, but I do know that they at least seem to be one of these teams that are embracing um, that – sort of development at least leaving it in i mean i'm all for this i love this this just it just reeks a little league right i mean it just brings you back to how we all used to do it well yeah i mean the best players are typically good at you know growing up the best pitcher players are typically the best hitter and can pitch and or play shortstop type of thing so it 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 doesn't surprise me that we're seeing this more often. I mean, in the past, it's been just like a single focus. Players have come up and either picked one or the other, dedicated mm-hmm. all of their time. Um, maybe with like current training methods, uh, you know, we're developing better athletes who are better suited to perform. Well, how, well, how about that, Dan? How about, how about they pay Otani and part of it is, right, you got to teach these kids how to condition themselves to, to be able to do this for eight years. You know what I mean? Like who knows better than that, his, than Otani and his staff, how to get their bodies ready. Cause that's, that's the biggest part of it, right? Is, is just physically being able to handle all that workload. Uh, obviously you have to be talented to do both, but I, I love the idea of him coming into this organization. That's already sort of valuing that whole process and being the mentor uh, while he goes out there and does this thing. I love it. Um, how about the Cubs, Dan? I got the I've got the Cubs in three of these top categories right now, and I know there's a lot to not like about the Cubs, and they're probably going to be big sellers in a couple of weeks here. Um, but Justin Steele's a real guy. Marcus Stroman has been a real guy for a bunch of years now. He's going to get himself a fourth contract. Um, these are real pitchers, Dan. Uh, and in Steele's case, he's young. He's on a minimum pre-arb salary. He, he leads the league in ERA plus, which is a, a growing stat. Lowest exit velocity in the league, lowest hard hit percentage in the league. Those have got to be tantalizing stats for the for the uh, you know analysis nerds out there. This is just a swing and miss guy. He's not striking out you know a ton, fourteen or fifteen per nine. He's just getting the ball in play that that's manageable, that's playable, that's doable. So I, I have to think that that's something that's sustainable, right? For, from a Cubs standpoint. Um, yeah, I like the player overall. I think we've seen. Um, mm-hmm a really nice step forward from him this year. Um, and he should be a player they want to build around. So I, I, I agree there. 
Where are you with Stroman, who has essentially broken off talks with this team? Is he going to be moved in the next couple of weeks? Because that's a big name to move if it is. Yeah. I First of all, I'm not going to believe anything I hear from the <laughs> negotiation side there. He has... He's done this before. Yeah, and there's been rumblings Publicly, that he yeah. he was going to use this year to try and leverage an extension with the Cubs. Um, mm-hmm. The Cubs should probably want to move on from him if there is an appealing package out there. Um, mm-hmm. This one is tough, though. I, I say they should probably want to move on just because is he really going to be a prominent piece? Um on the next contending team. If there is a team that wants to give you a nice prospect or player to put on your roster right now, um, to swap him out and let them deal with the contract situation, that might be, um, beneficial Mm -hmm. to, you know, to both sides. But as a whole, we've talked about the Cubs. Um, I I know I have kind of went to bat here for them over the last year and a half, maybe, um, more so I just see a, a direction. I like what they've done in terms of the front office, the GM, the scouting department. Um, they did a really nice job of kind of flipping their last group of core players and bringing in some, you know, some nice prospects on the fly. We're, we haven't really seen those guys yet, but they, they got in front of that by kind of executing in free agency, which we saw. Right. So, all of this is to say in the next couple of years that I really think they are going to round out into form and the, the seeds, if you will, will have been, were planted. Sorry. If they're successful, yeah. the seeds were planted over the last nine to 12 months, probably. And we're going to start to see, um, you know, th- they have a couple arms coming up. They have a Hayden Wesnewski type in the bullpen coming up. Yeah. P. Crow Armstrong, Matt Mervis. They have a number of guys that should come on this roster and be impact players. Um, I'm just looking at their top prospect. Um, Four of their top 10 prospects are in AAA, which gives you an indication Mm, of like how close close. we are to seeing some of the, you know, these guys that. So then back to Stroman, back to Stroman, because, you know, he's, they paid him 50 over two. And I can tell you from a calculation standpoint, he's not worth that anymore. He's about a $21 million player. So let's just say he's a three for 60 extension here. Uh, on a foundational standpoint, are they in the right window for that kind of a contract? Dan? I'm not sure they were in the right window for the two for 50. They paid Stroman in the first place. Right. But they did it. They, they probably wanted to see if they could rebuild on the fly. That didn't happen in my opinion. And in my opinion, this has been a, we're not ready year for the Cubs. This was, we trickled into this. We wanted to see if we could hit lightning in a bottle. It didn't happen. And they've backed off a lot. And I think you've noted that with a couple of those prospects you said, who are sitting in AAA, that probably, could be up here if they're really trying to push. So does it make sense to throw 60 to 75 million at, at Marcus Stroman for the next three seasons right now, based on where this team is? So you did a better job of laying that out. I think no, because of all those points, like even the tie on deal, like it, it's a four year deal, but I mean, that's probably that it, those two signings in particular indicated more to me like they wanted to spend some money and they could so they they ripped off a few short-term deals um to sort of signal to their friend to their fan base that we are still you know there was a little while there especially post-covid where that you know the rickets were getting hammered for not spending money um 
All right, Baez gone, Rizzo gone, everybody gone. Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So they've kind of uh, they've kind of thrown a little bit of money out there, you know, an Ian Happ extension, stuff like that, on these guys mm-hmm. that are like good, not great, but they're also not uh, debilitating in terms of moving forward in the future. They're guys you can have on this roster. Um, but they've also, you know, the Cody Bellinger mm-hmm. signing might pay off in spades. He could be one of the prominent um, trade. Yeah, I believe he, I believe he will be Dan. I believe he will be, and, and there's a lot of that. So that's why I think Stroman probably falls in that category as well. You thank him for his service. You didn't have to go too exactly. crazy with with the with the cash flow. Uh, you kept the terms low, and uh, and you get what you can get as a rental for the next couple of months. I think that's where we're headed. Uh, but fascinating that we've got a bunch of those guys on this top stat list right now. I I, I don't think that. Um, a few of these guys will be with their current franchises next year, right? Otani, uh, Stroman. I, I think there's a chance that a rise moves again in the next one or two seasons. And uh, we'll see from there. A couple more here. I mentioned Spencer Strider and the Atlanta Braves. Um, he got extended at the end of last season after just 20 starts with the Braves. They knew exactly what they had. Remember they signed him like right before a playoff start. That's how arrogant and cocky they were with this guy. They knew exactly what the hell they had. And he went out there and threw like seven scoreless. He's just, he's an absolute monster. Um, the efficiency's down a little bit, but you're going to have a little bit of regression after, you know, such a strong first year. 75 million on the extension. It barely buys out any free agency though. This is, this is a smart one, right? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, if there is any risk here, he is a two pitch pitcher. The positive is both our plus plus um, fastball yeah. slider are both uh, ridiculous. So and he's twenty four and has time to learn a third pitch. <laughs> yes, yes, but but he's been pretty upfront about just saying that he knows what he he knows who he is and what he yeah. does well, and he executes that, and he's doing it well. So all, all I'm saying is, does the league figure that out? Do his skills deteriorate a little bit to the to to a point where he does need to develop a second pitch, or um, I mean. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but even if this is a two or three year starter that shifts to a bullpen role at some point, that contract is still paying off in phenomenal, uh, phenomenal. Yeah, it, easily. So, um, yeah, no and issues makes there. A little that, more sense to me too, Dan. It's forty six million over his arbitration years. That's a good number for a pitcher. That's a, that's a good amount of money for a pitcher, um, especially like you said, a guy who's not maybe super evolved in terms of his his multifaceted uh, abilities. And then, you know, it's basically a one-year flyer on free agency at 22 million. Even if he's a ninth inning guy at that point, that's not going to be bonkers money. I think Josh Hader is going to make that in this next contract, in my opinion. We're, we're there with, you know, uh, Edwin Diaz's recent extension and things like that. And the Braves have done this before, made prominent starters into back of the back of the bullpen guys. So um, they just know what the hell they're doing. And it's, and it's frustrating for a Mets fan. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Uh, speaking of saves, we got three with 26 right now. It's been a pretty good year for young guys kind of growing into the role. And by the way, that's just where we're going, right? I mean, you, the Josh haters of the world are going to become less and less. You're going to see less multi-year extensions for these guys because you're going to see more conversion players. You're going to see more guys who are one, two, two pitch guys get a couple years as starters and just convert into this role. So I, I think we're going there. It's going to be a more evolved position. It's going to be harder as hell to do in fantasy baseball. It's already pretty impossible right now, but I think it's only going to get worse and worse. Anybody stand out here to you? I know Edwin's brother's there. Uh, there's another Giants pitcher on this roster. Anything stand out in terms of the uh, the bullpen guys as we head into the midway point? Um, 
Alexis Diaz is interesting because you heard so much about um, is he going to be the first guy traded out of Cincinnati preseason because everyone just assumed they were going to be terrible, um, myself included. I will own that. Um, so to see him being successful as like, I don't know, it just is sort of ironic to me. But um, yeah, it's great. Pretty big F you, right? <laughs> What's that? It's a pretty big yeah. F you, especially with all the Edwin injury talk and stuff, too. Oh, for sure. For sure. So, and, uh, Camilo Duvall, that was just like all the, so many, um, you know, metrics were pointing at a huge breakout for him. I think we have seen it. Um, and I mean, but I don't really think it translates into money. Uh, you know, yeah, that was my next question. There's just no need to pay a reliever early ever. Right. We're just there. It's basically the running back conversation for this position. Um, established reliever no uh in my opinion it's kind of hard to like extend a guy after they've already established themselves like the emmanuel class a deal i still Mm -hmm. think is really excellent and that was a good that was a good gamble on both ends um so like but but that was sort of premature we hadn't totally seen a lengthy track record on him that was more of like we saw the tip of the iceberg and loved what it was and here's some money kind of thing so um but yeah, but like that, these guys that have two or three years of established track record, it's going probably it's going to be increasingly harder to extend them, um, knowing they're they're pretty short shelf life. So yeah, because it, the difference between the relief pitcher and the running back, if I you know exhaust you with more multi sport conversation, is that these guys are still finding five million dollar contracts in free agency, even in their their mid thirties, right? David Robinson. Is still making seven million dollars as, and he was supposed to be the backup reliever, right? The eighth inning guy for the Mets. He's obviously not, right? He he's certainly putting his value in there, but um, these guys continue to get one-year contracts at, at much more than the minimum salary because of what they can do in the ninth inning. So, yeah, getting to free agency is really all that matters with these guys, and they just have to kind of ride it out until they get there. But it's a nice crop. There's definitely a nice crop of young players right now coming into this role. All right, let's right. Finish. If you can. If you can prove that you're like you have that reliever it factor, I think yep. there is something to be said to that. Not every guy can be an established closer and take on um like the responsibilities that come with that. But it like like okay. Kenley Jansen, we saw he's 35. He got a $10 million contract from a non-contending, like what we thought was a non-contending team. So um, right. if any of these guys can really pr- like get a long enough leash to, uh, really prove that they have that it factor. We've seen like teams willing to go back to that. Well, you know, Craig Kimbrell, we all thought his Kimbrell, career was done. Daniel Barr, Robertson. There's so many like revival stories with this. You're right. You just got to have it on your resume. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Let's finish with Garrett Cole. Um, I've had the chance to watch his last two starts and I'm not a Yankees fan. I just happened to, you know, fall ass backwards into it. Uh, this guy's kind of Max Scherzery, right, Dan? I mean, he's kind of just going out there and doing it. You, you referenced exactly the point I was going to make. Even when the Yankees are absolute garbage around him, he's out there just doing his job. Eight innings. Uh, I don't care if we're not getting hits. I'm just, this feels very Jacob DeGromish for those three, four years where the Mets had like one and a half runs per start, for, per DeGrom start. Cole's kind of in that wheelhouse right now, and he's just blocking every, everything else out, including you know the disaster that is the New York you know, baseball world right now. And doing his job, I, he took a lot of flack early on in this contract, and rightfully so. There was some 
some growing pains coming to New York and figuring it out. And then you had the sticky situation uh, just last year. But I'm not sure there's a player making $30 million per year on a multi-year contract that is worth his contract more than Garrett Cole is right now. Everybody else has so many red flags around them. And this guy's just kind of going out there and doing his job. I, I'm going to throw a really tough question at you. <laughs> if you're Garrett Cole and you are who you are right now and you think you're going to be this next year, why not? You're 32 going on 33. Are you at least considering opting out after 2024? Leaving that $200 million on the table? I'm a thousand percent opting out. and it's, Really? Yeah. At 33 so, years old. Yeah, because yes, I, I am I am a yes on this. And it's because the where the Yankees currently stand, it's going to be very hard. Okay, let's just lay this out. If Garrett okay. Cole opts out, the Yankees can negate that opt out by adding another year yep. at 36 what is at it? the same 36 so right. it's, just, it's just literally a next an extra year tacked down for age 38 yep right so in other words he if let's play this out he opts out the yankees add on it becomes what five for 80 mm-hmm. then which is essentially jacob Degrom's contract um if garrett cole hit the open market today i think he gets like like Jacob Degrom got that contract with similar production, but way more injury, yeah, half an um, injury risk. So if Garrett Cole is to hit that same mark, like a similar market with similar production and a better health track record, I think he is easily getting five for one eighty. Um, so the the lead. The, the open-ended question is what happens next year? Is he good? Is he bad enough that everyone kind of like really pauses on him? But otherwise, I I mean, I don't see how he doesn't opt out to at least milk that extra year at 35 or get the opportunity to go find more than the 180 million. He's, he would be guaranteed um, through the next five. But I mean, this is just a player that even if we were to see some skill, like some, hint that there's a skills decline i think Mm -hmm. some team is going to commit that chunk of money to him you know yeah that's the scherzer part of it for me that's what it feels like scherzer there's just a a physical domination with his game that seems to supersede any kind of regression he might be going through and i i don't know that i've seen that at a cold before i think we saw it in, in his earlier years in houston i mean he was an absolute machine in houston truly and and you know we're seeing quite a few pitchers go through that maybe even learn it in that Houston development process but um your 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 confidence is a little shocking to me that he's just, just going to punt on 36 million I, I guess here's why and it's different right but the Verlander Scherzer stuff has got to be scaring some people off here has to be right I mean that's legitimate decline regression out of those two players but they're five years older than what what Garrett Cole will be so you're saying that 33, 34 years old for a bona fide ace is still safety zone for teams that go 200 million plus? I'm not here to vouch it's good business. <laughs> I, I'm just saying it's go, it's going to happen. One of the 30 yeah. teams is going to say this guy is worth $200 million to us over five years. I, I am very confident um, in saying that. Now, is it a good investment long-term? I tend to think no, um, but... I mean, I think he finds 35 mil on the open market for multiple years. Um, maybe I'm way off on that. Maybe I'm just 
Um, oh, no, I, I don't think it's inconceivable. I just don't think it's a slam dunk either. And certainly they're doing that homework already. So let's finish with this sort of a bold uh, discussion point. The Yankees end up 500. They're seven over right now, but they're just floundering. Judges, judge has no timetable. There's not a lot, you know, positivity on that roster right now. And it's a third or fourth place AL East finish for the Yankees heading into the winter. And they don't get Otani. Because I think they're like fifth on that list right now. Just kind of guesstimating. Is there a world where this guy demands a trade? So that he can deal with this contract situation and a potential opt-out with another franchise? Mm, I would be surprised. I would really okay. be surprised. But You think this is still the right fit for him? Whether, whether the contract stays or goes? Yeah, I mean, he seems to be... I mean, he's kind of a head case. We've seen that. But he, he seems to be a guy that lo- is fine with the New York media. It, like, he willingly went there when he had multiple other offers on the table. He knew what he'd be getting into. He's dealt with, you know... You know, he's dealt with heat in his career. It, it, I, I, it is tough. I am on the side yeah. of... Um, it's It's... He's fine staying there if the Yankees are willing to commit money. Um, the Yankees are not in a place to be punting on pitching, in my opinion, so that they like I, I think part of the reason he opts out is because he's going to call the Yankees bluff and saying, well, give me an extra year at 36. And if they say no, thank you, he he says, fine, all set. I'll go Free find agency. five yeah. hundred. Right. I mean, and maybe if things deteriorate, then both sides say, like, listen, this isn't going to go anywhere trade me now and then i bet there's teams saying oh hell like, yeah like you don't think the dot like the, the dodgers or somebody who have has money to spend would say listen i'll give him five for 200 i don't care if he's only good for three years that the, the money in the back end of that means nothing to us so that's just sort of sort of i guess where i i land there so that's fascinating. I just I know we we've, we've talked about it before offline that the structure and the details of that contract, the conditions of that Garrett Cole contract are really fascinating and I just love that both teams sort of have a way to to an end point here. Both sides of this, you know what I mean? The Yankees can can decide after the fact that he's worth an extra 36 million in the middle of this contract and he can decide if, you know, if if where he is in his career at age 33 is enough to go out there and try to get 200 million plus instead of the 160 or 170 that he's guaranteed right now. It's a it's a really nice way to do business with a top player. You know what I mean? Instead of automatically throwing that 2029 salary in, give him a chance to get out. And if not, we'll give it to you then. I love that. I absolutely love it. So yeah, it's it's this situation isn't talked about enough. I think it'll start to gain steam here. Um Mm -hmm. but yeah, I'm uh I'm on board with the opt-out there. So all right, final, final, final thing, and then we'll get out of here for the day. It's July 10th. We're at the midway point. We are probably, let's see, August, September, October, November, December. Let's just say we're exactly five months away from Otani's contract. What is it going to be? Um, let's well, just be on I'm, the record with this as many times as possible. <laughs> yeah, I'm probably on it 15 different times. Yeah, it's uh, fun. It's super fun. With 30 different uh, outputs, but <laughs> I, I'm still well over 500. I think um, okay, that's easy, but where it ends up, um, yeah, I don't know. What, what was our last projection at? 
or what? Yeah, I think I think we were in the five fifties. I think that's about right. Um, I've got him. I mean, you've got him a three hundred million dollar, three fifty hitter. He's probably at least a two fifty pitcher, don't you think? <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. that's sick, yeah. Dan. That's six. I don't think it gets to six. I know some people do think it gets there. I think that's a little too much, even though there will be a bidding war with gigantic franchises in play. Um, but I still think something around 12 or 550 is right. That seems right. I hate the 12, but I, I think that's, I, I know, eventually what's going to have to happen with this tax stuff. And, you know, I've seen 10 for 550 quite a bit. I, I, I can't imagine a player costing 55 million on the, on the initial tax. Um, right now that seems high for a team, even the Dodgers or the giants. But if that's what it takes, I don't think too many teams are going to say no. Do you? No, no. Um, (laughs) That's why I I think you have brought me back to earth on the length of the contract for luxury tax purposes. Um, I, Oh, I'd love to see it at B8. I'd love to be eight, right. but you know, right. I just had an entire NFL discussion about Justin Herbert. And if he goes six, I'm going to throw up in my, in my desk here. But um, right. I, I think 10 is perfect, but 12 is probably where we get to. So if it, let's say it's 12, Dan, where, where does your, where does your bottom line get to if it's 12? Um, I, I like your 550 number. Here's okay. what I'll say. I, I'll go on. I'll go on record as saying that, I think whatever the number, the reported number is, is bullshit. And the way I say that is I think it's like the Julio Rodriguez contract that whatever the reported number is, is really just a reported number in that contract could go one of 15 different ways based on year to year production. So um, I say, I say that as in like, maybe it's uh, let's say 12 for 550, but there's some sort of creative structure where the player can opt out after a few years or the team has some sort of um, leverage, whether to, you know, after five years, they can activate the rest of the contract or get out of the rest of the contract based on pitching production, something like that. I think this is going to be a very layered convoluted structure to this contract um, to the point where like us just saying it's a nice clean 12 for 550 is not going to be super valuable, even though that's what we have to do. And that's how reporters are going to report on it. But um, yeah, I, I think you're really close with that. I, I am adamant it's over 500. I think it could get to six if there is some sort of creative structure where five years, he's still an elite pitcher, still an elite hitter. And they have some sort of multi-year option, whether that's the player, the team um, that can pick that up and say, listen, he's still where we, where he was when he signed this deal. So he should get, he should continue getting paid versus he's taken a step back from, you know, the generational once in a lifetime player that we saw. Um, but he still is a 30 and 90 RBI type of off, you know, offensive player. So that that's where I am at. Julio Rodriguez signed a, a 12 for 209 that could essentially become 350. Exactly. That That's what I'm trying to say here. So yeah. I, I think when it's all said and done, we're going to have that could be 550, 600 number, but the original base contract is going to be um, 450. I mean, it's still a ridiculous money. I don't want to say it's going to be it's less. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So. Crazy. Do you yeah, think... For, Go ahead. 
Do you think that he'll be worth more than fifty million on the tax salary? Um, Scherzer and Verlander's forty-three-three is the is the current Major League Baseball record. Oh, this is going to be organizational specific. Like I feel That's right. whoever is laying out the multi-year plan with a team will lay this out exactly how they need it laid out. Um, I mean, within, within the realm of Otani getting the money he deserves, but like structurally planning wise, I think um, they'll maneuver how they need to. I'm going to say it's right at 50. Maybe it's 49, 48, 50, 51, somewhere in there. I think it's right around that number, though. Um, whether he gets 550 or 6, I think, I mean, it's going to be really hard to get, like, to maneuver it. It's, like, some of these teams with high payrolls already, once you add that kind of money, um, and it's going to be good, it's going to be hard to maneuver unless, um, yeah, it's just going to be hard to maneuver, period. It's just endlessly fascinating. Um, yeah. Also, let me just, you, you sparked a point in my head a couple minutes ago when you were talking, I, I know previously you had said like, how many teams do we really think can break off the kind of contract that he wants, which mm -hmm. the more I hear about it is a good point with the consideration that people in the industry, when he came over originally they thought he wanted no part of New York. There, there's like yeah. a there's a contingent that thinks he is not interested in going to New York, playing in New York. Um, so if that's a big if, if that's the case, the, that's two of the biggest financial markets as we know, two of the biggest probable players in this. Yeah, could they be eliminated from the start? Does that lessen what we perceive as a bidding war? That that this is only fat. This is endlessly fascinating for that reason as well. It, so if I'm if I'm making a top five right now, four of them are on the West Coast. Right. It's the Angels, the Dodgers, the Giants, and the Mariners. Those are probably right. my top four, realistically speaking. Um, there's probably a Texas team involved. I, I, I would imagine. Do you do you agree with that? Just seems like something would happen down there. I, I can't imagine. Uh, I, I mean, do you think that uh, that one of these fringe teams, Dan, like the Orioles, right? Are the Orioles involved in this? Hmm. I, do, do you know what I mean? I mean, from a baseball yeah, right, standpoint, no, it makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. Exactly. These middle market teams, it's hard yeah. for me to wrap my head around them. You know, especially a team with the like the Orioles who have rebuilt themselves into this, you know, contender over the next couple of years. Like, are you right. going to handcuff yourself with extensions, et cetera? I think you'd just be better off trying to lock up, um, Rutschman, Henderson, the young guys, yeah. you know, that we're, we're just starting to see. So it, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a good point, which, you know, to your point from weeks prior, like, I mean, maybe they keep, they, they, they kind of have to publicly keep everybody in the race because there are such, um, limited teams that can really dedicate that kind of to payroll to uh, one player. So it's fascinating stuff. All right. I've taken enough of your time. This is good stuff. I'll post this article on spotrate.com, our stat leader financial status article, and uh, we'll get back to it once baseball gets back to it. Good stuff, Dan. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. <laughs>